Hello, welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with Delia Delore, the show that explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. It looks like, slowly but surely, we'll be able to move on with our lives once we continue COVID-19 safety protocols and get our vaccines. If you're still debating, look at it this way. The more people who get vaccinated, the safer you will be. So don't enjoy the fruits of other people's toils, unless, of course, you have very serious concerns. Our metaphor this week is somewhat reflective of what I've just said, and my guest, Carol Glenn, certainly knows how to live life in the fast lane. I've said a couple of metaphors this morning, and I hope you'll stay with me to find out which metaphor Carol chose. Do you remember the band The Eagles, Hotel California? Now it's time to let you in on this week's metaphor. Life in the fast lane is an idiom that has been around for a while, but was popularized by the band The Eagles with their song of the same name. The song is off their celebrated album, Hotel California, which has been labelled a concept album due to the running themes found within it. According to the band, the record loosely describes the plight of a musician moving to LA for the first time. The starting tracks note this artist as the, the new kid in town. And with success, the musician manages to make it to However, after a stint of this hedonistic lifestyle, they start to wonder if all that time partying was just If you listen to the lyrics of Life in the Fast Lane, you'll know that the song isn't really about cars, but about the dangers of a life consumed by self-gratification. The lyrics describe today's idiom perfectly. When you picture the phrase, you imagine someone living a high-octane lifestyle, continually questing to seek that next thrill. When driving in a fast lane, you pass the drivers next to you, leaving them behind. Maybe you start weaving through the cars in front. There are risks involved both in the literal fast lane and the figurative one. The inspiration behind the song itself came from frontman Glenn Frey. Frey, not unknown for his penchant for cocaine, has recounted of speeding down to Vegas in a car driven by a dealer named The Count. As you can imagine, the two were intoxicated and manoeuvring in a very risky situation. Frey, realizing the gravity of the circumstance and unable to move due to the combination of drugs and adrenaline, shouted at the driver to slow down. The Count replied, What do you mean, man? We're in the fast lane. A profession closely associated with today's phrase is that of a stuntman or woman. Whether we like living in the fast lane ourselves or watching others do it, stunt performers provide the opportunity for both. As I'm sure you know, the biggest actors aren't encouraged to do their own stunts for obvious reasons. The profession can be perilous with its own share of tragedy. You may have heard about the stuntwoman Joy Harris, who sadly passed away on the set of Deadpool 2. Harris was the first African-American woman licensed as a motorcycle road racer. She acquired the license in 2013, having only started racing in 2009. 
In Deadpool 2, Harris doubled as Domino, who was played by actress Zazie Beetz. Here, Beetz is being interviewed about the fatal incident. Of course, all of that is wonderful. You guys did also have a, a very tragic um, thing happen on set. How did you handle that and come together as a, set, uh, as a cast? It really rocked our boat um, and still is. It changed a lot in our production, changed a lot in the film. Um, that week we shut down production for a few days and then we came together and um, it actually really did bring the cast sort of to this same place and we um, we had a memorial for her and yeah it was very sad uh, yeah and it was a very strange strange time and still is like it's still is staying with us and um, yeah, so, and for the stunt community too there, like I, I don't know, I just wanna say like, we're really proud of our stunt team and they're a fantastic team. And I just really, sorry. I just really want people to know like, that wasn't supposed to happen and they're a really good team. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Good, I need to make you. No, that's okay. Night. But it is. It's. It's this. You forget that there are people behind the scenes doing things. Yeah. You know, and it is such an important work. And they just mean a lot. Joy Harris died doing what she believed, and as sad as this event was, fortunately, it's not the case for every stunt professional. Stunt performance takes a lot of training. It must be noted that stunt work doesn't yet have its own category at the Oscars. Stunt professionals have been working for many years trying to get their art form recognized by the Academy. Imagine if films like John Wick or The Raid had been contenders for an Oscar in this category. Films such as these are built around amazing choreography that takes the eye and experience of a stunt coordinator to achieve the best result. There have only been two occasions when stunt people are honored by the Academy. The first time was in 1967, when Yakima Knut received an honorary award for his contributions to the stunt world, such as his legendary work on 1959's Ben-Hur. The second time was in 2012, when Hal Needham received a Lifetime Achievement Award for stunt work on movies like Smokey and the Bandit. Quentin Tarantino's film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, illustrates this treatment of stunt performers. If you haven't seen it, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt play best friends. DiCaprio is an actor, whilst Pitt plays a Hollywood stuntman. In the film, you see their juxtaposed living styles, even though their contributions to their films are incredibly important. Pitt, in the movie, even fights against martial artist Bruce Lee. Here is a snippet from the film in which DiCaprio implies the only recognition his best friend needs is the time on screen. Hey, you can do anything you want to him. Th th throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire, hit him with a blanket, right? Get creative, do whatever you want. He's just happy for the opportunity. Do you think stunt work should be recognized by the Film Academy? Or maybe you think the role itself is a fantastic opportunity for someone who's quite gutsy? Whether you do or you don't, there's no denying the pull of a fantastically choreographed action sequence. It all seems we all love a bit of the fast lane, though most of us will indicate to come off it at some point or another. This week's guest is Carol Glenn, 
the motorsport pioneer in search of the next Lewis Hamilton. Carol was the first black woman to become a race official in the UK. You don't know it yet, but you're about to agree that our metaphor, life in the fast lane, certainly pertains to her. Carol, it's really lovely to see you again, courtesy of Zoom, right? That's brilliant. <laughs> Zoom um, bridges the gaps across the water. That's correct. That's right. And I'm so glad that we could talk because it's been quite a while. And being it's March and International Women's Month, I had to make sure that I let people know a little bit more about you, those who don't know, because I think what you do is amazing. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Thank you. So, Carol, how does our metaphor reflect your life? I think my metaphor is my life. I do definitely live in the fast lane at the moment, especially since the last year, since last March. I've been um, at home, working from home, as well as setting up my new initiative, Next Race Generation. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have got through the um, pandemic. Yes, I know it's uh, been quite a... Oh, an amazing thing, this pandemic and what it's been doing to everyone. And, you know, someone like you who lives life in the fast lane, that must have been a bit, uh, a lot, I should say, a lot different for you to uh, adopt. It was because it meant when, when March came and normally we would be getting ready to go and do all our motorsports and do all our meetings. And, and that, that's, I'm normally a clerk of the course. And suddenly all the race meetings got cancelled um, and the Grand Prix got cancelled and we had so nothing to watch nothing for us to back and do, that was quite frustrating. Um, and we didn't start the season again until quite late. Um, and, I mean, internationally, I know F1 started quite late and then club races started quite late. And I managed about, I think, three meetings last year because it all had to be done under a COVID environment. And also going to those meetings when there was no public, there was no, there was no crowds to be allowed to be there. So it was a very strange time last year, very strange. But we're here in this year and uh, I'd like to go back a little to ask you to tell us what your first memory of motorsports was and how did you first become involved? Well, my first memory, I remember, I was about, I don't know, 11, 12, maybe a little bit older, watching the RAC rally on TV and watching the Audi Quattros flying literally through the forest. And I remember saying to myself, I, want a one, I wanted a white Audi Quattro when I grew up. I'm still waiting for the white Audi Quattro, <laughs> but I'm still, still just in love with cars. And then that sort of laid dormant for a while until I met my partner in 1988, well, 87, and 88, and um, he was disappearing off on a Saturday. And I said, oh, wait, no, where are you going? He's going to Brands Hatch. So I went along with him as a guest. And I remember sitting at post five at Drew's Corner at Brands Hatch, and I fell in love. And it's been a love affair ever since. Oh, that's lovely. But how does it feel to become the first black woman to be a race official and... Did you face any prejudice with this rise to succession? Um, initially, I, I didn't face the prejudice, and it was, it was just something I did. I mean, obviously, I did notice that I was the only person of colour, and obviously, I got used to people looking at me, because um, I was part of what's known as the Orange Army, so where you're all dressed in orange overalls. And, yes, I suppose I did get, you know, sort of people looking at me, but I wanted to do it. I, it was something, something was different. I enjoyed I enjoyed the, um, the challenge, and that was fine. But as I got on in the sport, I did notice, I decided to notice that I would get, you know, overlooked for roles or if I tried to, to, to move up the ladder, I was always held back a little bit. So I always had to fight very much to get my place. But then I was very much dealing with a man's world and also women in the sport was only still relatively new. So I was battling two things at the same time. 
Well, I have to say that um, when my research team uh, knew that you were going to be a guest, of course, uh, they all wanted me to ask this question, particularly Honor. She wanted to ask, have you ever worked with Lewis Hamilton and has he ever offered to take you for a drive? Well, <laughs> I haven't spoken directly to him, but I am working closely with him and his management team because he formed the Lewis, Lewis of the Hamilton Commission last year with the Royal Academy of Engineers. So I have been talking to him um, via his manager, Mark Hines, which is the next best thing. Um, but I am waiting for that call that one day, if, I, if Mark calls me on Zoom, I know most probably on the next, on the call will be Lewis. But in my head, I'm talking to Lewis every day anyway. So, you know, he's my inspiration. And whenever time he still puts something out, I just love the fact that when he put his head above the parapet, it was him that gave me the strength to start talking out as well. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I have to ask, you know, as you said that, what does it feel like when you tell your friends or you tell someone that you've met that this is what you're doing in life? And of course, you've embarked on a, a new um, ambition, something that, in fact, you tell us about what you've just embarked on. So when Lewis put the, his head above parapets, I was talking about, about um, you know, um, the lack of diversity in motorsport, and obviously it's also related back to the um, BIM, um, I thought, well, actually, Lewis, there's me at the bottom, and you're at the top, I'm at the bottom. And I wanted to speak out, and so I started to speak out. And then also, I didn't want to just talk about the negatives, about the experiences that I've had, because, yes, they were true, but I wanted to have a positive. So after talking to some fathers who've got children who do karting, and, and I've been talking to them on and off for a while, I decided to form an, an academy and calling it the next racing generation. So I thought that's what I wanted to, to show, that we want to bring the next generation up into motorsport, we want to flood motorsport with, you know, people of colour, people from diverse backgrounds. And because I've been working in the industry for so long, it's like nearly 30 years, well, over 30 years now, I feel like I've got a good grasp of what goes on. The problem parents have, especially if they're coming to karting, is that their parents are coming to karting into a world they don't know. So they don't know, they don't know when they've been taken up a garden path, when somebody's not given them the right information. So when they see other children, you know, progressing and their own child has been held back, um, then that can be frustrating. And also some of it's also funding and money as well. So it's a combination of, of, the, of the two. And I want to make it more, more than just, um, you know, a, 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 a racing team. I want to make sure we do some training. There'll be some holistic training in there. There'll be some mentoring, giving the kids some key skills on how to go out there and, and deal with the, with the world. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm going to become, hope, no, not hopefully, I am the first black racing team to be established in the UK. But isn't it dangerous, motor racing? Everything's dangerous. Yes, motor racing is dangerous. There's always signs. But um, you ask any, any driver, whether they're a Carter or they're an F1 driver, do they want to go slower? The answer is no. You know, you want to race in a safe environment. You want to race with a car that you know is safe. You want to race when you've got, you know, all the right safety equipment's on. And that was... Um, not shown any better when, if any of you saw the Grand Prix with Grosjean when he had that awful accident and how he survived. He survived a fire uh, by getting out there within 10 seconds. And that's what all of us, from marshals to drivers, are all trained to do. We're trained to, to, how, to get, how to get drivers out of cars quickly and drivers are taught how to get out of their cars quickly. And also their equipment they wear. So they're, all their overalls and everything that they wear is made to the highest standards. And if you skimp on those and think you're going to buy something cheap, then, then you are 
you are messing with your own life. So you make sure you have got the best equipment to keep to keep you safe. Now, talking about the best equipment, you said earlier you haven't uh, got yet that car of your dreams. But is that your all-time favourite car? And what car do you currently own that you would say is your pride and joy? My favourite car was going to more than one car. And I always said if I won the lottery, I would forget having the house and the holidays. I would just have a stable of cars. Yeah. Um, on all for different reasons. And obviously one of those would have to be the, an Audi Quattro, which is an Audi, um, Audi RS. Um, the car I drive at the moment, I'm on my third um, S-Type Jaguar, um, which is in racing green. And again, it's another car that I fell in love with over 10 years ago. I love, I love, well, as well as modern cars, I love historic cars and classic cars. And I love the sleek lines of the Jaguar. Um, I love the way it, it sits. I love the leather in, um, upholstery, and I love that comfort of drive. Because I do a lot of driving around weekends, and I could be doing, you know, a couple of hundred miles, it's nice to be able to drive home in a nice, comfortable car. People often say to me, why do you drive such a big car just for you? It's like, I love comfort. So, as I can't own an original S-Type, I carry on with my modern S, um, uh, Jaguar S-Type. So, I say I'm now my third one. So, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm very much in love with Jaguars as well. Do people understand your love for cars? No. <laughs> my family don't. My friends don't. Because I'm not a racing driver until they still quite find it hard to understand what it is that gets me so excited. But all I can say is that if you come to go to any race circuit, and on any given day, if there's, if there's lots of cars on the track, and you stand in the paddock, your head up in the sky, and you smell the smell of petrol, burning rubber oil, grease, if you could bottle it, it would be perfume. <laughs> no, you say that and I, I can just see some of our listeners just shaking their head and say, oh, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound feminine, which is not really a, a good thing to say. But they would say, oh, not me. And I think a, a lot of women, and I'm sorry to say this, they don't even know how to change a tire or, you know, they'll call the AA or the RAC to do something that, you know, if you had you know, a little interest in what you drive, you wouldn't need to wait for anyone else to do it for you. That's right. Well, I, I mean, I can, I, can, I can have a go at changing my tyre. I understand, you know, the basics within my car. I know how to, how to um, put water in and check the oil and check the tyre temperatures, you know. But also, occasionally, if I want to, I can stand and look down and just go to, to, to a guy... I don't know what to do. My car is broken. You know, so I can play it both ways. But yeah. equally, when I go to buy a car, I can, you know, I know what I'm looking for when I'm buying a car. Yeah, I, I can identify with what you've said because um, I, I have always said I'm a daddy's girl. I used to spend my Sundays, particularly with my father, washing and cleaning the car. And he loved, you know, dabbling in it. I've changed engines with him. And I've done lots of things. And my friends would say, why are you staying with your dad in a greasy old car? You know? And I'd say, no, there is just uh, something yeah. about it. And then I remember my first uh, occasion at Brands Hatch is exactly what you said. And it wasn't race day. I went there with a friend who was a racing driver. And so um, sitting in my first Cunningham was just, oh, my gosh. And I actually suffer with um, motion sickness. So <laughs> it, <Yeah>. was, <laughs> it was an experience. Let's, let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, the yeah, ambience yeah. and everything, I can understand what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. 
So what has been your favorite memory in motorsport so far? And also, wow. also, apart from the memory, who would you say is your favorite racer to date? Okay, this is, this is both going to be controversial because the main sport that I'm interested or I absolutely adore is um, long endurance racing, Le Mans. So one of my favorite memories is going to Le Mans for the very first time when I went there as a guest with my partner at the time. And then I ended up being a marshal there. So I've actually marshaled at Le Mans, which is a 24 hour race. And the post used to be on was on, I've been on both the first she came and the second she came of the Royal Sand Strait. Um, so anything, you know, so back in the days, again, I used to love the Jaguars, the Mercedes, uh, you know, you could hear during the night, you could tell the difference between all the different car engines because you couldn't see them apart from their lights. You knew which car was coming towards you. And I suppose controversial, although I love Lewis and I've arrived Lewis, my all-time favourite racing driver is Derek Bell, um, who, if you're searching the cup, you'll see he's been, um, you know, he was a, a long-distance racing driver uh, for many years and won many, many races. And what makes him your favourite? His style, panache, um, he's got a slight certain charm, he'll talk to anybody. I mean, I've met him several, several, several times, you know, and I think he used to think I was his stalker because whenever he'd look round, um, I'd end up popping up somewhere, smiling at him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, yeah, just something about him because he is one of these sort of, I suppose, um, more older English racing drivers, but he's, he's, he's just, he, he's always been my hero. He's always been my hero. So tell us the name of your new training school and how uh, people can get in touch with you. Well, people can get in touch with me on, um, it's called Next Racing Generation. Our website is nrgmotorsport.co.uk. Um, I've, I've got, um, I forgot to tell you as well, I'm working in collaboration with Red Bull Racing. So we've got some initiatives coming up this year for anybody over 16. So if you're interested, please get in touch with me via the website, which is nrg motorsport.co.uk and um, I'll get back to you and let you know what the initiatives are. And what can these young people say to their parents to encourage their parents to at least let them have a go? Tell them they want to come down and see Next Racing Generation and come and do a taste of day or to come and have a look. And it's not just about being a racing driver. If you've got ambitions about wanting to be become a designer or if you want to get, become a, a journalist, or anything to do with the motorsport, any of the aspects of motorsport, that's what we're going to be here to help to help you do. We're help, there to help um, you know, to make people's dreams come true. And we'll also help guide them on their subject, um, exam subjects as well. Well, Carol, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I wish we had more time because I can see that you lead a very interesting life. And I understand fully, totally fully, why your metaphor was life, living life in the fast lane. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's been delightful. Thank you. Sit back, relax, and don't get giddy while we show you what living life in the fast lane looks like using modern day technology. What does it mean to live life in the fast lane? Well, a Formula One driver may come to mind traveling at breakneck speed via the shortest, most efficient path, or perhaps an adrenaline junkie looking for the fastest, most dangerous stunts to raise their heart rate. Someone living their life as if they're joyriding in a sports car, dangerously again, 
at breakneck speed. Perhaps they are always on the go, seeking immediate satisfaction from their job, well-being or their relationships. Regardless of what they do, it's safe to say that they will not be content with a quiet life. Maybe life in the fast lane is not exclusive to thrill-seekers or daredevils, but is relevant to the billions of us using social media. Modern technology puts us all in the fast lane. It may feel like everyone has slowed down and that months have stretched into years, but living in the modern world has put us all in the fast lane. Instant messaging, microwave meals, deliveries within an hour. But is this the best way to live? Being constantly logged on and online can be stressful. We all need to unplug and reset. Even billionaire Mark Zuckerberg takes time away from his busy, hectic life to engage in self-finding retreats. Coming away from social media, the internet, or even all technology entirely can seem old-fashioned, but we often forget it's not natural to spend hours staring at a screen. Within all of time and existence, we humans have been on this earth for a tiny fraction of it, roughly 200,000 years. To put that into perspective, hold out your arm in front of you, providing you don't look anything over. Your arm represents all time, and your shoulder is where the Big Bang happened. Going down your arm, the dinosaurs existed along the nail of your little finger, and humans have only been here for the tip of the nail of your middle finger. So next time you file your nails, you could have erased all of human existence. But seriously, of these 200,000 years of our species, the internet has only been around for 0.015% of it. Yet we use it every day for multiple aspects of our lives. When is the last time you planted something in the ground or walked in the woods? The notion of life on earth has evolved gradually and we have had thousands of years to adapt to our surroundings. The internet has spread like wildfire across the globe and now plays a major part in our everyday lives. And I'm sure the millions of tech wizards are living in the fast lane to innovate new uses. We are still understanding how to use technology. Over the past few years, we haven't been able to interact with each other as before. Many of us have been cooped up, working from home all alone, or maybe feel like we're living in the same room with far too many people. These past few months have certainly been testing, but the end is steadily coming closer and we will be out of this pandemic soon. However, suddenly some days feel like we're thrown headfirst into the middle of the fast lane with emails piling up. Your mind can feel like a busy road. Training the mind is often quite different to how people imagine it to be. Maybe they have an idea it's about stopping thoughts or eliminating feelings. But the reality is a bit different. An easy way to think of it is to imagine yourself sitting on the side of a busy road. The passing cars representing the thoughts and the feelings. All you have to do is to sit there and watch the cars. Sounds easy, right? But what usually happens is that we feel a bit unsettled by the movement of the traffic. So we run out into the road and try and stop the cars, or maybe even chase after a few, forgetting that the idea was to just sit here. And of course, all of this running around only adds to the feeling of restlessness in the mind. So training the mind is about changing our relationship with the passing thoughts and feelings, learning how to view them with a little more perspective. And when we do this, we naturally find a place of calm. But we sometimes forget the idea of the exercise and become distracted. Of course we will.
But as soon as we remember, here we are, back on the side of the road again, just watching the traffic go by, perfectly at ease in both body and mind. For younger people, there is pressure to achieve milestones by a certain age, choosing a career, buying a house, having children. But these expectations are created by older generations who grew up in different environments. You may have seen complications of adrenaline junkies pulling off daring and dangerous stunts, sometimes flawlessly, sometimes going horribly wrong. Is it worth risking life and limb for the thrill? Is it worth experiencing something that could kill you or puts you on the edge? Living in the fast lane gets you where you are going quicker, although in a preview episode, we explored life is about the journey, not the destination. And we discovered that it wasn't always the best thing to always go quickly. But nowadays, we seem to be very impatient. Everything has to be now, quick delivery, instant access, Gone are the days where you would write a letter, post it and wait. How exciting that used to be. Now it's becoming outdated to wait more than a day to receive almost anything you want. We spend hours on video calls, having conversations with people miles apart without leaving the room. Are there negative effects from this instant life? Now, when I press buy, put the item in my hand. Now, in America, there should be no lag, zero lag, between when I press the button and when the item is gently placed into my hand so I can use it now. Oh, same day delivery? Oh, American. We scroll looking for a quick hit of endorphins from a funny video or mem and videos that are 10 seconds long. Entire series, which used to be spaced out over months, are released in their entirety and we binge watch all of them in one go. Many times we gobble up the entertainment and move on to the next thing, often not taking time to reflect on what we learn or how we feel. Take the time to just stop and close your eyes if it's safe to do so. Take a deep breath in through your nose and feel your stomach expand as it fills with oxygen and then breathe out as I was doing just a while ago, slowly through your mouth. Clear your mind, forget about everything you need to do and take this time to yourself. It is difficult to do it the first time when you try, but it really does get easier and it makes you feel calmer than when you started off, trust me. Taking some time to switch off and restart is a great way to cope with keeping up with the tirelessly busy modern world. You may not see yourself as someone in the fast lane, but you certainly notice people in the slow lane when you're getting stuck behind Sunday drivers, people who are walking too slowly along the pavement and you want to just walk past them or just because you really need to catch your train or people who are just taking too long at the checkout. That's one of my pet hates when people know that they have to pay for their shopping and they wait until the cashier gives them the price before they start searching in their bag for their purses. It's very easy to get stressed by this. So try to take your time with others and remember the story of the hare and the tortoise. Speed isn't everything. Although I have always been annoyed by the moral of the story. You may not see yourself as someone living in the fast lane, but you certainly notice people in the slow lane, 
like getting stuck behind Sunday drivers, people walking too slowly along the pavement, and you just want them to walk a bit faster, or you need to catch your train or something, and they're just walking so slowly. Or my pet hate is when people take too long at the checkout. They wait for the cashier to say how much their shopping is before they start searching for their purse. It's very easy to get stressed by this. So try to take your time with others and remember the story of the hare and the tortoise. Speed isn't everything. Although I have always been annoyed by the moral of the story. I hope you enjoyed the different points of view behind this week's metaphor, from stuntmen and stuntwomen to technology, and deep breathe when you feel the need to slow down. Thank you, Carol Glenn, for sharing your time with us. And as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at msdelia at deliadelore.com. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends, your colleagues, your family, or leave a review on colorfulradio.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe.